0: Um, So we're going to read the Bible now. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 14 to 17. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that it is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than doing evil. This is the word of God. All right, well, I'm Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here at City Light. Great to be opening God's Word with you this afternoon. And we are looking at uh, just what Anna said, which is the habit of, you could call it gospel fluency, or evangelism, being able to bring up Jesus in everyday conversation. And uh, and if you're with us and you wouldn't describe yourself as particularly religious or sceptical, you're just kind of checking out the claims of Jesus, I really hope that you see from this passage why it is that these Christians, these God-botherers are so on about Jesus all the time and why that matters. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I pray that you'll be encouraged to share the greatest hope in the universe with people who need to hear it. And so we're going to be diving into this, but to get us thinking about this, it reminded me even just recently, and I was talking about this with the, the Connect group that was coming through, that's the course we do before you join a small group here at City Light. And, uh, and I was reminded of my, my first job as a PE teacher. So I was 21, and I started at Riverside Girls, so I was barely older than the oldest students in the school, and this is my first teaching gig at an all-girls school, and that was challenging enough on its own. But also, I was in a staff room at the time, where most of the people in that staff room would probably have described themselves as, uh, if not kind of outwardly hostile to religion or even the Christian faith particularly, then certainly highly, highly sceptical of it. Uh, whether it's true or not but also the impact and whether it's actually good for people to believe in but despite that i had a pretty good relationship with most of the staff i respected their their wisdom their age their ability they respected my just youth and keenness and were willing to put up with my lack of skill because of that but also i shared part of a staff room with one other the, the one other person on the team who was probably about the same level of introverted as me and so we just enjoyed talking as much as not talking at about the same level. And I think she'd been waiting for someone who was of that sort of ilk for a long time. So it, all, it had all worked out pretty well. And the staff room dynamic was pretty good. But I remember one day, she used to get, my colleague used to get the, um, the paper delivered every single day. And one morning, she'd unwrapped it and rolled it out. And there on the cover was a story about a young girl called Sophie Delizio. Now, Sophie Delizio, if you know her story, you might have even heard her as an adult now speak about it, but she was severely injured when a car plowed through the front wall of their house. And as a result, and because of the accident, she received burns to about 85% of her body. She lost both feet and some fingers and an ear, so it was a major incident. But the story on the front of the paper was not about that incident that several years later, while she was still a young girl, her nanny was pushing her across a pedestrian crossing and a driver didn't slow down in time and hit them and sent her sprawling about 18 metres. She had a broken jaw, shoulder, ribs, and had a heart attack as a result. But she survived. And she grew up and is now speaking about those experiences and her mum now speaks of how her faith kind of led her through that time. But this was on the front page of the paper that day. And my colleague looked at it And she was there with another one of my colleagues. And she said, it just makes you think there is no God. And as if they both knew, at the same moment, they kind of turned to me (laughs) as like the nominated Christian delegate in the room because they knew that I, I believed in Jesus. They knew I went to church. And so she'd said it. And they both just went as if to say, yeah, guy, what do you think? And I presented one of the most eloquent defences of the gospel that I've ever presented. No, of course I didn't. I froze like a rabbit in the headlights. And my mind was spinning at about a thousand miles an hour, but it couldn't produce a single word. And I was just jammed. And I remember like even reliving the moment later thinking like, just say anything, idiot. Just like a word. But I didn't. I just went quiet. And then the moment passed. Now, I wonder if you've ever been in that position. It's like, a, it's like a press conference and the mic is on and you're just doing nothing. I felt ill-prepared and ill-equipped for the moment. And, and maybe, in, maybe in your particular moment, you were able to escape anonymously. It was a moment where you're like, this is a time where I should speak up, but I'm still operating as a secret agent Christian in my workplace and nobody knows, so if I just keep my head low, this is going to swing straight by me. Or maybe it was you were put on the spot. But I imagine if it hasn't happened yet, at some point it will. It will. There will be, well, depending on which way you see it, the challenge or the opportunity to speak about Jesus in that moment. And this scripture that we're opening up today is to encourage you to be ready for that moment when it comes, that you might speak of Jesus well and that you might do it, if you heard in the reading there, with gentleness and respect, that you might witness to Jesus and the glory of the hope that is in him and present a defense of the gospel in a way that honours and respects others and yet holds fast to the truth of the gospel. And in order to do this, this passage gives us three keys and they're in this order. The first is, don't fear. The second is, set apart Christ as Lord. And the third is, be prepared. Don't fear, set apart Christ as Lord and be prepared. And so I'm going to pray that as we dive into 1 Peter 3 that we'd see exactly these things and that God by His Spirit would empower us to be His witnesses. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you that the gospel is so good and that it's news that's to be shared and it's news that is being shared across the globe right now, even in contexts where it's illegal to share Jesus. That your people so love Christ and are so compelled by the love of Christ that they cannot but help to speak of Jesus? And so, Father, we pray that we would have a passion to share Christ and that it would all be for the glory of your name. Amen. Well, the first, as we said, is having no fear. And this letter is written, it's called 1 Peter, because funnily enough, it was written by Peter. They weren't very creative with the titles in the New Testament. And Peter was uh, one of Jesus' closest friends. He was one of a group of 12 men who had followed Jesus around for pretty much the entirety of his ministry. So three years, they saw everything that Jesus taught, everything that he did. They were witnesses to his death and to his resurrection. And Peter's now writing to a church that are spread out all across the Roman Empire because they've been persecuted. Christians were being arrested or they were being beaten up or they were being put in jail, and because of that, they kept moving on to new areas. But as they did, they would share the gospel, plant churches, and so the gospel spread out all across the Roman Empire. And so Peter writes this letter to them, and he writes it to the church that's spread out. And he wants to encourage them. And in this section, he says, 1 Peter three thirteen to 14. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So here, Peter says something that's a bit strange. He says, now, who is there to harm you if you're passionate for doing what's good? And of course, the answer is pretty much everyone at that point. He's writing to a church who know that they're spread out because people have been chasing after them specifically because they follow Jesus. So why is he asking this question in this way? We've just got to backtrack a little bit in this section of Peter to see why. In the section just before what we read out, look what it says in 1 Peter 3, 8 to 12. It says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He's quoting here an Old Testament passage that's laying out that ultimately it's God who is the judge. And so he's saying, look, if the gospel is true, if Jesus died in your place for your sin and canceled your debt before God, and now God has welcomed you in as his own child, as a daughter, as a son, if God loves you and and has given you indestructible life, well, who can be against you? He's saying ultimately, even if your life should be taken you'll be fine. God will be the one who looks after you. And in the context of that, he says, so who is there then to harm you? He says, really, if you understand the gospel and you understand that you have indestructible life within you because of Jesus, then who is there to harm you? You are free to take some risks for Jesus. It's like when when you unleash a bunch of kids on a jumping castle. They just go mental. They don't have to have a background in gymnastics or anything, but suddenly everyone's doing flips and whatever else. Because once they're on there, they're like, there is nothing that can harm me here. And they don't know that they can still clash heads and whatever, but you know, they get, once they get on there, they've never been in an environment where it was so difficult to hurt yourself. And so they just they go wild. Even, even adults, when they get on a jumping castle, just kind of lose their, their inhibitions. And Peter's saying the same thing. He's saying when you realize the implications of the gospel, it's like, who is there to harm you? So don't fear. Get out there. Take a risk for Jesus. Who is there to harm you? If you're passionate for doing good, for honoring Christ, then there is nothing you have to be afraid of. Now, in their context, there was the fear of actual bodily harm to overcome. But in our context, it probably operates more at the level of like a culture war. The headlines would make you believe that there is such antagonism to the gospel that if I were to open my mouth about Jesus, I would get shouted down. And I would put it to you that I think that reading of our culture is way off key. Don't get me wrong. I realize there there are corners of our culture that are particularly adversarial to the gospel. And there'll be sections where you are working or studying or living at certain times that it might be particularly hard. Like, sure, if you are open about your faith, you may not land an internship at Triple J or you might not get your gender studies thesis, you know, approved. There are certain pockets here where it might be a little bit more difficult. But in the main, that's not the case. That's the, the culture war has made us believe that there are such adversarial sides that everyone is against it. And it's not the case. There will be sure there will be corners of the culture where before you open your mouth, you might be judged as intolerant or misogynistic or homophobic or whatever it is just for being a follower of Christ. And there'll be other pockets of the corner where just for following Christ, before you even open your mouth, you'll be judged a bleeding heart, liberal soy boy, whatever, dot, dot, dot. But for most people, for most people, 90, 95% in the culture are somewhere in the middle who are wrestling with the big questions of the meaning of life and have not yet made up their minds and want to know real answers to real questions. We're called not to fear. Don't believe the hype. Most people want to know and engage in their worldview and to think about it intelligently. There's good reason to share Christ. So that's the first one, not to fear. But then Peter goes on to say, but also, honour Christ as holy in your heart. Look what he says, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The second key is to honor Christ the Lord as holy. What does that mean? The whole way through the Bible, from the time that the people of Israel, God's people, are gathered together, they are reminded again and again and again God is holy. He is different. He is set apart. He is other. He's not like the false gods of the nations around them. He's not just something that we've made up. He's not just like a super version of a human. He is completely other, transcendent, beyond this world, beyond our understanding. And Peter says this is crucial for being ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. If you just consider Christ a religious set of ideas, a concept, a way of living... That is insufficient to move you to want to share about him. Not only that, it's insufficient for anyone to take any interest in. See, we live in a a secular culture, and the word secular literally meaning of the age. That is that to, to live in a secular worldview is that anything meaningful or significant that is to happen in life happens in the here and now, somewhere between birth and death. There's no world beyond this world, and there's no life beyond this life. But in Jesus, we see that there is a transcendent God who came down to meet with us and to be with us. We see that Jesus is someone, something entirely other. And so the work of sharing Christ is to be a people that give others a clue that there is a world beyond this world that is far more beautiful than anyone could imagine. Try and just just go with me on this one. Try and think of it in this way. Imagine, you're, you sit down at a cafe and an old woman come and sits, comes and sits down next to you. And the first thing she says to you is, oh, I knew that you were going to take up a seat next to me. And you kind of you run it over in your head and you think, well, she sat next to me. But then you see that her, her stuff was all on the chair initially, so it was you who sat next to her. But before you can even ask her about that, she starts rattling on about a bunch of things. And before long, you start to find yourself thinking, how long am I going to be stuck in this conversation? When she says something that grabs your interest, she says, you know I'm not from around here. And again, you're starting to think, gosh, yeah, this eccentric old woman, I imagine that you're not, and I imagine you've got a whole bunch of things to say that I really don't have time for. When suddenly, she grabs from a bag an object and pulls it out. And when you look at it, it's something that because it seems so symmetrical and perfect, you imagine it to be a cube, but as you look more closely on inspection, The lines seem to bend or move when you look at them. Not only that, but it's almost impossible to wrap your senses around it. You can't tell whether a hand is sort of through the object or underneath it supporting it. As well as that, the color too is hard to lock down. You imagine it to be a kind of bright color, like a red or yellow or blue or purple, but it's something sort of in between all of those. It seems entirely inexplicable. And then she says, you get the idea, right? I've seen things that you haven't seen and a world that you don't know anything of and then leaves. If that happened to you, it's fair to say that you would at the least bit be curious, right? It's easy to dismiss someone if they speak about something and then produce nothing to give you any clue that they actually have any authority to speak on it. But to meet someone who would actually give you some kind of clue that they might have known or visited something otherworldly You'd want to know about it. The work of telling others about Christ is to have a vision of the goodness and greatness of Jesus that is so beyond this world, that is so biblical and right and transcendent, that when you speak of Jesus, people would get a sense that you have experienced a God who is beyond this universe. That you have met someone who is unlike anyone or anything else in this world. Peter says the first work is to set apart Christ as holy, to have a vision of his greatness and magnificence so that when you speak of Jesus, people get a sense of like, wow, what is that? What are you talking about? A God who is three in one, loving and yet wrathful, God and yet man, unspeakably good and utterly merciful, who lives in unapproachable light and yet deigns to speak to people like us. God is holy, other, Like nothing anyone has experienced in this life. See, in a secular culture, everything we experience is just another consumable thing. It's another thing that belongs to the here and now. And the work of telling people of Christ is to awaken people from this secular boredom to say there is a God who wants to know you and he is like no one or nothing else you have ever encountered before. And see, as we go through this series on thriving and as we look through these habits, it's true that they're all interconnected. Because the first week we looked at encountering God in His Word and in prayer, and it is the case that that is where you get a vision of God as holy. And not only that, but as we we steward our finances as people who love Christ and treasure Christ, it reinforces in us the belief that there is a God who is worth living everything for. And really that's connected then to us sharing Jesus day by day by day. That as we live with, for him and bring more of our life under his rule, we are more prone to speak of his goodness and his mercy and his life-giving power. See, Peter here says the first thing is to honor Christ as holy in your heart because it's more important that you would have a right heart than right arguments. In speaking of Jesus, it matters so much more that we know him personally and what he is like more than just having a series of logical arguments to, to bring to any discussion. So Peter here says, honour Christ as holy in your hearts. But then he goes on to say, as well as that, be prepared to give an answer. Look at what he says in 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence for anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Peter says... You get a vision of of who Jesus is, but then also be ready for the moment when someone asks you to give an answer for why and what you believe. Now, there's a prevailing belief in our culture that everything authentic is is spontaneous, and that actually to prepare for something is one of the most inauthentic things you can do, and particularly when it comes to something like speaking about Jesus. To prepare what you would say is kind of tantamount to being a salesperson that you're preparing like an elevator pitch, that you can kind of tell someone under 30 seconds what your thing is about. It's kind of like, use car salesmanship or like pyramid scheme. It's not a pyramid scheme, it's a multi-level marketing platform, you know, that, that level of kind of stuff. But I would say that's the wrong analogy for this and for a couple of reasons. One, presumably there's no financial gain in telling other people about Jesus. If it's just person-to-person, friend-to-friend, there's no financial gain in it. So it's a different type of interaction. But not only that, in those previous ones that I mentioned, there's some level of deception involved. You're actually trying to package something as better than it is. And that's not the case with Jesus. Now, I'd say when you think about preparing to speak about Jesus, the easiest example to relate it to is the wedding speech. If you don't believe me, that love equals preparation. Just, just think about the difference between the bridesmaids' speeches and the groomsman's speeches. Just as you, th- I've been to, I know I've been to more than my fair share of weddings as a pastor, and having worked in the church for a while, I've been to more than a few. But there is an established pattern that generally, when the bridesmaids get up, there'll be notes. There might even be like a flow diagram or an easel and a chart or a book or something like that. There prepa- it's clear from the start, preparation has gone into this. And the grooms are, not, are often good, but every now and then you get someone up, and the, f- the first warning sign for me is when I see no notes. Because I think, I, either, either you're a much better public speaker than I thought you were, or you're a much better public speaker than you think you are. And if a guy gets up with no notes, or a dad, the father, Anyway, that's a whole nother whatever. (laughs) But if they get up with no notes, you're like, okay, we're in trouble from the start. And usually, what happens is, in his mind, the first gag was going to be an absolute banger, and he throws it out there. And what he what he get what he receives instead is polite laughter, right? The kind of thing of like, oh gosh, well you're giving a speech. I guess we better laugh, but it wasn't that funny. And he panics. And so he goes into the bottom drawer of stories and pulls out some of the worst or greasiest stories, and and then that one kind of maybe gets a laugh, and then he just gets deeper and deeper into it until before he knows it, he's given a horrible 21st speech at a wedding that was meant to be dignified and formal. And then he sits down in embarrassment and quietly drinks away the night. That's what I've seen sort of happen. Because the truth is, if you actually want to speak authentically about someone in that context... You prepare. In fact, when you don't prepare, you end up saying things or giving impressions that you didn't mean to give, and it ends up being less authentic than if you actually prepared. There are certain contexts in which it is more loving and authentic to prepare what you say, to think about it. And so Peter says here, if you love Christ, be ready. Be ready for the moment when you need to give an answer for the hope that you have. Think about it ahead of time. Think about what you will say. Draw on other people's wisdom so that when you speak, you might speak genuinely of a God who is holy and good and loving. And more than that, he says, so that when you do it, you'll speak with gentleness and respect. Because we are called to witness to Jesus with gentleness and respect. And to be able to disagree with gentleness and respect in a culture like ours is difficult increasingly it is much easier to bunker down with your own tribe and just hurl insults across the ditch. And when you speak, to speak about other people who believe other things to you as idiots, morons, how could you possibly think that way type people. In fact, in reading an article recently, it's increasingly the case that people are becoming not only accustomed to outrage, but addicted to it. Emotions like rage and anger have an addictive component to it. Listen to this from one study in particular. A 2018 study from the University of Geneva found that humans notice and identify with an aggressive voice more quickly than a normal or happy voice. All of this, the neurochemical rush, as well as others' respect for fear of our rage, can be intoxicating. Humans are primed to perceive people who express anger as more competent, and confident, and the more we use anger to dominate or control others or protect ourselves, the more this outrage shapes our identity. People get a literal rush from getting angry. It feels good. It feeds into your sense of self and you end up liking it. Locking in the the addictive effects of anger is dopamine, the neurochemical that hangs around after a flare-up, creating a post-tirade glow. Dopamine is a feel-good hormone. It's released when we have sex, eat good food, cuddle, exercise. Certain highly addictive drugs such as methamphetamines mimic dopamine in the brain. It tells us to keep doing that thing again and again, often leading to behavior patterns consistent with addiction. This is how we are getting hooked on rage. The allure of rage is everywhere. It feels good to lay out a tirade about how right you are and how wrong someone or some group of people is. But Peter says this is not the way of Christ. Don't be mistaken. Generalness is not weakness. Generalness is strength restrained. When Jesus walked on earth, he knew that he had appointed a day when he would judge the living and the dead where rulers would cowl before him and would rather have rocks come and crush their heads than to meet him face to face. But for now... Jesus came in gentleness and the restraint of power. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't repay evil for evil, and his followers are called to do the same, to testify to Jesus, to not compromise on the truth, and yet to do it with gentleness and respect. So Peter says, be ready for the moment. Be prepared to give an answer for Jesus so that when you do, you'll speak of a holy God, and yet you'll do it with gentleness and respect. And so in applying this this week, as we move to, to our small groups, there are really three questions that we're going to land on. Rather than leaving it all, all vague and out there about sharing the gospel of Jesus, I want you to take some time and to think about three to five people who you dearly love, that you would love to know the goodness and hope of Jesus. And to commit to praying to them, and praying, praying for them rather, and praying about how it is that you might share the gospel with them. And then to think through the how. How is it that you'll be prepared to give an answer? We're going to share with you a set of podcasts from a guy called Sam Chant, who's great at just, just sharing the gospel in everyday conversation. But to think about how it is that you might be able to share Jesus just in the everyday stuff of life. That it wouldn't be some grand moment that you build towards but just day in, day out, week in, week out to share Christ with one another. And to think about when, the last question. When it is that you might make a moment to actually share the gospel with someone. When it is that you might invite someone to come along, even over these three weeks as we head down to the high school. Even as I shared with you, look, it's probably been the easiest moment to ask people to come along because whether it's the novelty of just going to a high school, whatever it is, people are just open to checking it out. They do want to know. And so I'd encourage you this week, wherever you're at, to take the next step forward in sharing Christ week to week that it might be a year where you thrive as a follower of Jesus, that you take risks knowing that you have nothing to fear, that you share with Christ in your heart knowing that he is holy and he is good, and that you might be prepared to give an answer, that you might speak with gentleness and respect. Let's pray that we would do this. Father, we praise you that your gospel is so good, that the good news of Jesus is unspeakably good. That you have loved us with an everlasting love? That you have shown us mercy beyond any mercy we've been shown? And Father, we just pray that you'd help us to speak rightly of Christ, that we are prepared to give an answer of the hope that we have in Jesus. And Father, may we do this to honour you with gentleness and respect. Father, make us a people who have a passion to do what is right, to love and to honour Christ and all of this, that people might come to know the healing, the forgiveness and the renewal that's in Jesus that can be found nowhere else. Father, we pray all of these things for the sake of your holy name. Amen. We're going to take a minute to reflect on these things. And if you wanted to, it's a time to grab out those cards that are on your seat. If you wanted to join a small group here at City Light, that's the best way to let us know. But if you'd like us to be praying for you for boldness as you share Christ with others, we'd love to be praying alongside of you. So take a moment to grab those out and we'll uh, after that stand and give praise to God.